people sleeping on the streets of our capital city, being charged exorbitant rents, and children being brought up in bed and breakfast hotels is a disgrace to a civilised country. Hello and welcome to the Politics Home podcast. I'm senior political reporter Liz Bates and this week we're doing a special episode on homelessness. As you may have guessed, that was Jeremy Corbyn speaking in the House of Commons. But he wasn't addressing the current Prime Minister, Theresa May, as you might have assumed. He was actually speaking from the backbenches back in 1990, aiming his fire at the then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. Fast forward almost 30 years and the problem of homelessness is just as high on the political agenda. The number of people sleeping on our streets has more than doubled since 2010 to almost 5,000. And earlier this year, Theresa May described it as a national shame. Back in February, a homeless man was found dead at the entrance to Parliament, prompting calls for the government to do more to end rough sleeping. But journalists following up on the story found that there are no official figures recording the deaths of homeless people. The man who died was called Marcus Gorgil. Here is a friend of his speaking after his body was found. Basically, he was all right at five, and then at seven, they've tried waking him up, and he's just not awake, he's not waking up, and he's dead. In the aftermath of his death, tributes of flowers and cards were laid outside the entrance to Parliament, including one from the Labour leader, which read, This should never have happened. As a country, we must stop walking by. I caught up with Jeremy Corbyn to ask him what more we can do to tackle homelessness and how he felt when he heard about Mr Gorgel's death. It happened right outside my office. I was completely shocked by it. And uh, it seemed to me... emblematic of what's happening around the country. Homeless people have died in my borough as well and the local church arranged a funeral for one man who died and a lot of people turned up to express their sadness at his death but also their anger that anyone should be having to sleep rough in our society in the 21st century and uh, we have to deal with rough sleeping by the immediate purchase of sufficient properties. I think 8,000 would be about right to ensure that rough sleeping ends and then get on to a serious programme of building council housing and hostel and move on accommodation because to be a rough sleeping homeless person is a disaster in your life lots of things happen to lots of people in our lives and we end up in a bad place surely it's up to the rest of us to help people back from that bad place starting by giving them a roof over their head and what do you think it says about us as a country about the government you know about our history that we don't actually even count the number of homeless people that die on our streets i think it's absolutely shocking and the registration of deaths should include not just why you died but how you died and where you died and if people are dying on our streets then surely that is a shocking condemnation of our community as a whole and meeting um, the homelessness minister um, if you were in my position what would you want to ask him put money in immediately in order that rough sleepers can be housed urgently and support the building of accommodation but also look at the intentionally homeless rule and the way in which many local authorities operate it because uh, it seems to me that becomes often the basis of people losing their homes and the regulation of the private rented sector and the way in which our benefit system operates which means that so many people are left in such a vulnerable situation we have 
several thousand, many thousands of people sleeping rough. I suspect that number's going to go up the more universal credit kicks in, the more that rents rise, particularly in London and the South East. And uh, something has to be done about it, and it's up to central government to do something about it. Now, in response to the absence of official figures on the deaths of homeless people, journalists have been trying to put together estimates through freedom of information requests and with help from charities, councils and coroners. In April, two Guardian journalists, Patrick Greenfield and Sarah Marsh, managed to get enough information to estimate that the number of homeless deaths had more than doubled over a five-year period, from 31 in 2013 to 70 in 2017. I spoke to them to find out what had prompted their investigation. So it was kind of prompted by a few things. There was a particularly cold winter with the beast from the east and obviously that puts homelessness into focus a bit more. There was also the high-profile death of, of someone on the doorsteps of the House of Parliament. So a combination of those things, I called up a few charities and asked them if there was any data on how many people died on the streets. And I was surprised that they didn't know and they said, um, they sort of suggested a few avenues to try. I tried those and nothing. So the only option was to send a freedom of information request to councils. But yeah, it struck it struck me at that point that it was quite strange that no one collected that information. I mean, for me, it was, it was a very emotional thing of just seeing people every day and just feeling like this was getting worse. And I don't think what we're necessarily told by the government and by official bodies is actually an accurate reflection of, of what's happening around, around the country. I've got lots of family in Manchester. I am originally from, from Norfolk in the east of England. I moved to London recently and, and kind of go around the country a lot. And it, it just seems to be in kind of very odd places. God, there's a lot of homeless people in, in small towns and villages in the UK. Um, and it's that kind of thing where it, 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 was, it was very visible and, and that's probably just the tip of the iceberg and I really felt the need to find out more. So when you actually got to the point where you know, you, you realised that you actually wanted to do a piece of work on this. How did you start digging into the figures and actually compiling these statistics? So the, the biggest thing with, with homelessness in, in the UK is that the, the government statistics are a massive underrepresentation of the problem. Um, in 2015, actually, the UK Statistics Authority threatened to actually say, well, these aren't official figures anymore because they're open to political manipulation, they're untrustworthy. And so maybe listening to this podcast, you might hear me and Sarah say a lot, I, I, I don't know, because... I mean, last year apparently there were about four, four and a half thousand people sleeping rough in the UK. But for us, actually determining what is a rough sleeper, what's t- what ticks this box, what is a homeless person, if they're sleeping in a tent in a temporary encampment, does that count? I mean, I mean, is somebody sleeping on a bus every day a, a rough sleeper, or are they homeless, or, or what, what does all that mean? And so we very simply just thought, right, let's just ask how many rough sleepers have have died in temporary accommodation or on the streets in the last five years, uh, can you itemise that by year and give us as much information about these people as, as possible? Um, and, and just kind of went for a very simple approach on that because as we got back from lots of councils, a huge amount of questions about, well, what kind of people are you actually talking about? It, it feels like the, the description of each category is just kind of, kind of wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel what you would reasonably understand as a rough sleeper or homeless person to actually be. And with freedom of information, if you have anything that's ambiguous, you obviously get completely different answers or people just avoiding the answer or giving you vague responses. I remember actually being a bit sceptical about whether we'd get anything back because Mm. I think one of the charities were like said to us, I don't think you'll get anything very good back. They don't record it in a kind of 
in the same way. I remember um, looking into how the actual homelessness statistics are compiled and I think it's that somebody goes out into the street so yeah. one night of, yeah. uh, in the year and kind of just counts homeless yeah. people. I think that's um, slightly worrying and probably does give us quite a skewed picture. So when you actually managed to get to a point where you could write a story mm. on this, what had you found out? So, so the headline for us was that we found that about over 300 people had died in the last five years and that figure had increased every year. And 90% of those deaths were men. Um, I was struck by how, how young some of the men were as well. And there was a really big range. I think our, our, the oldest death was it was 85. But the average age was, was 43. And I must say at this point as well that the Bureau of Investigative Journalism are doing a project on this right now um, where they, from, from last October, I think they'll do it, do it all through this year, they're, they're tracking these deaths and they've already got to 133. Because our data set is, is incomplete. There were big towns and cities in the UK that gave us, gave us nothing. Again, it's going back to the whole I don't know how much I can say or how much we can say here because there, there are such big gaps. Um, but it's increasing, it's increasing at a big rate. People are dying in temporary accommodation on the streets. They're being found in parks, by churches. And it's a pretty anonymous death as well. It's, there are not many investigations into deaths, very few coroner's inquiries. You just kind of pass out of this, this world and the system and people don't really care. Were there any patterns in terms of the causes? So some people were murdered, some people were picked on in the street and, and, and were killed for that. Some people died um, of cold, of exposure, um, while others died of the effects of addiction. Last week I was in Pontypridd in South Wales. It was a 19-year-old boy, teenager. Um, he died in a tent um, in, in February. Um, because he had diabetes and it was uncontrolled. Um, he had problems with, with drug addiction, a pretty chaotic lifestyle, but diabetes is controllable. These are, this doesn't need to happen. He didn't need to die. Being at the coroner's inquiry and, and hearing this kind of inevitable spiral to, to death, but also seeing, God, someone could have stepped in there, somebody in social services if there was more money, if hospitals were better set up to deal with people who live such chaotic lifestyles, um, were there that he, he would still be here today, and that's that's the biggest takeaway I think that mm. it doesn't need to happen. It's slightly unrelated. When I went I, for another project that me and Patrick worked on, I went to speak to people about PSPAs and homelessness and I met a man during that who was called Evan and um, I sort of spent a bit of the day with him and I spoke to him and he, he'd kind of had had sort of a marriage breakdown and had ended up on the streets sort of in a way that could happen to anybody and that nothing major had happened he'd just sort of fallen into a kind of series of bad incidents that led to him becoming an alcoholic and um I was with this guy who worked for the homeless services in the area and he said to me that um, he felt like Evan could be dead in a year because of everything in his life, because of the man he was drinking, because of the fact that of his age, he said, if you look at the statistics, you know, he'll be dead in a year. And I thought really shocked me because I, I felt like, you know, it's really sad that this person, it's almost like the future was inevitable if no one could help and it felt sort of like predetermined in a way. Does, does anybody take responsibility for these deaths? But my own personal opinion is, is, is no, no one's taking responsibility properly mm. because what we record as a society is a reflection of what we care about. We 
dedicate rightly a lot of resources to recording how much G- what GDP is in the UK, um, how happy we are, lo- lots of things. But we don't know how many people are on our streets. We don't know how many people are dying. You, you're sceptical about what, what the truth is. Mm. I think look, looking at numbers, and, and that's that's de- very much linked to responsibility, in my opinion. Because you kind of randomly hear stories in the newspapers about people dying on the streets, and it's always really shocking. So I thought, well, obviously it's something that we're kind of monitoring because you know, especially when it's really cold and periods like that, you just imagine there's there's somebody who's collecting this data and, and thinking, oh well, you know, this number have died this year, so we need to make sure that that doesn't happen again. What provisions do we need to put in place? And it, you know, it make it just sort of feels very almost like homeless people are not seen as human um, which is really sad the local authorities have a legal responsibility to, to care for these people and we don't know how well they're doing that We've, it's hard to even measure that if we don't know how many people are dying um, something as simple as that a gentleman I was speaking about earlier the 19 year old who who are, who's um, in quest to his death I went to see He's, he had a kid and he's, he's growing up now and the mother of that kid was saying that they're going around Cardiff this kid started asking about why why there are people out on the streets. I mean that that's that's a conversation that I hope by the time this kid gets to five or six doesn't have to have with his mum about oh yeah that was that was the life dad had. It's 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 grim. That was Patrick Greenfield and Sarah Marsh from The Guardian. Meanwhile, in Manchester, Jen Williams, who is the politics and investigations editor at the Manchester Evening News, faced similar problems as she tried to report on how many people had died on the streets of the city, eventually writing an article entitled The Deaths They Don't Count. I asked her, who is ultimately responsible when a homeless person dies? There is no one agency whose job it is to do this. Every agency should have looked at it as, well, you know, that's just not something that we do. So then you end up with a kind of vacuum in the middle of all of that. Some of the politicians I spoke to off the record were conscious that this was a problem and talked a little bit about, you know, some efforts that were, were starting to happen behind the scenes where Greater Manchester had started to realise that maybe this needed to be something that they looked at. But from an institutional point of view, there was just simply nobody doing it. Because if you if you look at the way things are set up at the moment, say somebody dies from a drug overdose, for example, on the streets in the city centre, mm. the police will class that as uh, a non-suspicious death. They probably won't even, unless it's causing, this is going to sound really bleak, but unless it's causing some kind of like major traffic issue, you know, they've had to close the road or whatever the thing is, you probably won't get a press release about it. You probably won't even know about it because it's, it's non-suspicious. It will then get passed to the coroner. And you won't necessarily know that the coroner is looking into it. You won't be aware of any names unless somebody tells you. And then at the same time, people dying in temporary accommodation. I mean, it eventually turned out that Manchester Council was keeping some figures on this, but they were not figures I had ever seen published anywhere. And they certainly weren't figures that they were, you know, it it required quite a lot of pushing even to find out that they were actually attempting to sort of vaguely track it. So on this particular issue, probably more than anything, I found charities to be the most helpful. And eventually the Manchester coroner, because they were at least able to provide a list of deaths that were had been recorded as no fixed abode, which is only just scratching the surface. That was helpful in giving a kind of very broad, at least a picture of the trends over the course of five years, if not a kind of accurate overall uh, figure. So the coroner, Manchester coroner, had um, recorded 50 no fixed abode deaths 
um, over the course of five years. But what you could see was those numbers rising steadily in each of those years. They're mostly men. And by this year, they were recording uh, about one one no fixed abode death every six weeks. There's also this issue that you've done a lot of work on of hidden homelessness, people in temporary accommodation and the conditions that they live in are not something that anybody would recognise as a home. What have you come across as you've looked into that in Manchester? So I think there's there's sort of two aspects to um, that kind of homelessness where you're living in a in temporary accommodation. There's the people who go to the town hall and present and say, I am homeless, and the council goes through its boxes and these are drawn up through national legislation. It's not up to the council what uh, what makes you eligible for help. Um, they go through those boxes and if you tick those boxes and you count as being statutorily homeless, um, they then have a duty to put you somewhere and that will be in temporary accommodation in Manchester, most likely to be in the private rented sector or you might end up in a and b or a hostel. So there's those people and then there's all of the people who, for whatever reason, don't qualify for that level of support or don't go to the council in the first place asking to be considered. And they're the kind of even more hidden in many respects. And many of them are living in really, really awful slum accommodation in hotels, B&Bs, guest houses. And so when I started investigating the homeless deaths, one of the things that came up was that in a number of those more no, particularly notorious B&Bs in Manchester, there had been a lot of deaths and mm-hmm. nobody had been recording them. It felt at points almost kind of actively sort of saying well we don't know about this officially we're just not going to look into it so there's an example probably the most notorious one is called Val's Hotel and it's now burned down but that has been a sort of unofficial accommodation for homeless usually homeless men for a long time like years and years and years Mm. and it was only by speaking to a charity that I got a list of names of people who died between I think it was October and March and there was five of them and that was just something that I had, even although I had asked the council about people that I'd heard had been dying in there, I was just getting nothing back whatsoever. And they were saying, no, we don't know anything about that. In actual fact, they, they kind of, they were aware of it, but they weren't officially aware of it. Mm. So those people just don't really figure anywhere within any meaningful statistics. It's six o'clock on Monday the 13th of August. Good morning. This is Today with Justin Webb and Sarah Smith. The headlines this morning. The government is launching a plan to end rough sleeping in England. Research suggests that a four- That was the news earlier this month as the government launched its latest plan to end homelessness in England. It announced that £100 million had been redirected from other budgets to tackle rough sleeping. Nigel Adams is the minister responsible for reducing homelessness. I asked him how the cash would help. Well, this money, the £100 million that we announced last week, is aimed at tackling rough sleeping. We made a commitment in our manifesto that we wanted to halve the number of sleepers on our streets by the end of this parliament and then eradicate it altogether by 2027. It's part of a wider homelessness package of £1.2 billion in this spending period. Uh, this is obviously something the government takes extremely seriously. We have seen increases in the number of rough sleepers for a, for a variety of reasons over the last few years. One of the things um, that I've been speaking to people about is, and I'm sure this is something that you're aware of, is there are no official figures for the number of homeless people that die 
on our streets as rough sleepers, um, even though we have a range of other kind of different death statistics. And the people that I've spoken to have suggested that it means that we don't take the deaths of, of rough sleepers particularly seriously. And if we aren't monitoring the problem, then how can we even start to address it? So what would be your response to that? Of course, any death uh, where someone is, is on the streets is taken seriously. Up until now, we have not, as a matter of course, had safeguarding adult reviews that you might have into other deaths or or serious injuries that, that happen. Um, so we want to work to ensure that these reviews are conducted when anybody who is sleeping rough dies or is seriously harmed as a result of any neglect or abuse, whether we know about it or suspect it, um, and that, that something else, something more could have been done from an agency or a local authority to, to protect that individual. So that that's really important. I think that is that was really welcomed as part of the announcement last week. And obviously, any lessons that you learn from those reviews, you use to inform any improvements uh, in local services to ensure it, it doesn't happen again. The Guardian and the Bureau of Investigative Journalism have done their own investigations and tried to start collecting these figures and estimate how many people die on the streets each year or in temporary accommodation. Are there any plans for the government to start doing that? Well, I think once we once we get reviews underway, that will help inform, um, it certainly inform government, it will inform local uh, authorities much more, much more in detail. And I think th- this has been really welcome, the fact that we've announced this last week. So basically... If you like, there'll be a duty on local authorities to ensure that they do these reviews where people are suspected or known to have suffered seriously or have died as a result of uh, neglect or, or abuse on the street. So, you know, this is something we do welcome. Okay. And when I spoke to Jeremy Corbyn, he recommitted the Labour Party to their plan to um, acquire or buy 8,000 homes. They say that that would immediately solve the rough sleeping problem. It's, it seems like quite a simple, quite obvious solution. If you if you buy people houses, then they then you know they're no longer homeless, they're no longer on the streets. Why would you not consider something like that? Well, I think it shows a real lack of understanding uh, by Jeremy Corbyn of the issue. You know, we work very closely with people who are experts, and you, you use the word simple which i think more or less sums up that approach the idea that you can just you know requisition a lot of properties and put people in them it's not that simple but you know i'm not expecting jeremy corbyn to have thought this through terribly seriously this this is a a strategy that we've worked on uh for many many months not just uh with the in, in government but across the sector people who've been working with the homeless working with their sleepers for years and and people have signed up to this strategy, we need a sustainable long-term plan. The idea of you sweep people up off the streets and, and put them in the homes that you've snatched from someone else is is really for the birds. Obviously, under the Labour government up until 2010, homelessness and rough sleeping reduced quite substantially. It's been rising quite substantially since since that time. Your new pledge is, is to eliminate rough sleeping by 2027, which might not seem particularly ambitious to some people kind of looking in. They might wonder, what have you been doing for the past eight years? So what would be your answer to that? There are many complex reasons for a start why people end up rough sleeping. You know, and it's way too simplistic to put it down to one particular issue. But we've got to make sure that we eradicate it for the long term rather than just 
in the short term have an impact. You know, we're we're very encouraged and very grateful to all the housing and homelessness experts who have helped us put our plan together. You know, well-known organisations like Shelter, like Crisis, like uh, St Mungo's and, and Thames Reach, and, and local authorities that have you know high levels of homelessness have been involved in developing this. But the idea that you can solve it short term, I really don't think that flies at all. And you know, the people within the sector understand that. They welcome the fact that this is a nine-year plan rather than just something that can be done at the flick of a switch, which clearly it can't. And it's part of a wider much wider program as well um, working with for the first time formally with the department of health you know they've, they've come to the table with 30 million pounds mm. got to recognize that people who are on the streets many many of them i would say virtually all of them have some form of mental health issue or or some form of substance mm. misuse problem and if they don't have uh, before they go onto the streets you know a few nights on the streets and there's it, been no surprise that people do turn to you know, something to try and get them through. So um, we've recognised this, and, and as part of the £100 million, £30 million of delivering a wraparound service involving health professionals to people uh, uh, at risk of rough sleeping and or rough sleeping, we think it could have a massively positive impact. Okay. And um, just one more thing. Somebody died earlier this year outside the House of Commons, I mean, basically in the doorway to the House of Commons. How did you feel about that when you heard? Nobody should have to die on the streets, clearly. You know, it's absolutely dreadful when anybody is in a situation whereby they they end up dying and there's no one around them and they're, they're, um, they're homeless. It, it, it's particularly distressing. That's why we're doing this. You know, we're not, it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to that particular tragic case. This is something we've been on with now for a, a number of months working across government and as I say working with experts putting together a plan it's certainly not re, uh, knee-jerk reaction it, it's something that's taken a lot of thought it's something that's taken money it's something that's taken new money into the rough sleeping arena that wasn't there before um, so we're very very serious about tackling this um, I've been the minister now for three months and it's really really uh, heartening and encouraging to, to see some of the work that is going on at the same time it's distressing when you see people in the situation uh, that they are you know there's some very very complex uh, chaotic lifestyle individuals who who do need the support that that is out there but they also need an, an improved support package that aims to prevent becoming rough sleepers in the first place and that's what we're doing that was nigel adams And that's all we've got time for on this Politics Home podcast special. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and goodbye.